Yet. My name is Emmy Graham. My husband and I, we serve on the eldership team here at Glenridge. And I'm going to be all by myself tonight because Hudson wasn't feeling well, so it's such a nice surprise to have them here. But at the beginning of each year, for the past three years, this is prompted by Heather Phipps, so this is all her fault. I've been asking God for one word, one word that I believe prophetically um, will encompass how I want to be approaching the new year in prayer and in practice one word that represents the courage I'm wanting to walk into. One word that expresses the story I'm wanting to tell in faith for the next 12 months. So at the beginning of 2019, I asked God for my one word. And um, it was a word that I was quite hesitant to nail down um, as the word because I was terrified by the word I thought God was saying to me. Um, and I was hoping maybe that I was not hearing from the Lord, that this was not a word from God, but it's turned out that there's no coincidence that I find myself literally basking in the glory of the light of this giant word, faith. And it's quite profound for me that this one word, faith, that I started 2019 with in my prayers and in my heart is a word I'm ending with in 2019, standing in front of, in bright lights. Um, so it has been an incredible journey of faith for me this year, from the smallest moment-changing things to encourage you. As you go into 2020, ask God to give you one word, and then share it with your friends, share it with your home groups so they can pray for you and encourage you and blow wind in your sails throughout the year. So tonight we continue on with our Heroes of Faith, it is truly a privilege for me to be up here. It's one that I don't take lightly. Um, so tonight, I'm really trusting God is going to reveal more of his self, more of his faithfulness to us through the faith, fear. Have we got that slide, Zoe? Paying attention. There we are. Through the faith, fear, obedience, and salvation of Noah. So let's go ahead and pray quickly before we get started. Father, nothing is worthwhile and nothing worthwhile is going to happen without you in our midst. Give us the courage to open our hearts to you. Give us ears to hear your voice, Father. Teach us through your word that is alive and active in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you want to turn with me or click with me in your Bibles, um, in Genesis 6, this is our first biblical encounter of our hero Noah. Um, Noah... So this is actually verse, we're going to start in verse 3, and this is God speaking. He says, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Because the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, Noah walked with God. Now, the, um, the slides that I have are these beautiful illustrations that are actually done by a guy named Don Clark. If any of you have ever seen the um, book called The Biggest Story, these have all been taken from there. So creds to Don Clark. Um, so God saw how sinful and dedicated to evil man had become ever since the Garden of Eden. And he had determined a 120-year grace period would be given for repentance before the floodwaters would come and destroy the creation. So that scripture has often been confused as it's been translated into English to mean that humans can only live for 120 years total. 
which we know that's not actually true because there are people older than 120 years who are alive. So um, it's specifically in reference to the 120-year grace period that God said, I will give man no more than 120 more years on earth before I bring the flood. That's what that's in reference to, and we kind of lose it in translation a little bit. Um, so this is now God speaking to Noah. We're going to jump through in chapter 6 to verse 13. It says, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. So God gives dimensions. He gives um, elaborate details, how many stories the ark needs to be, the door and the window schedule, the roof, what food to take in. Um, and then he carries on in verse 18. I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. God spoke to Noah and told him what was coming. He revealed the future to him. He said, then he gave Noah explicit instructions. This is what you're, this is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to do it. And this is who you're supposed to bring with you. So Noah had 120 years to accomplish the what, the how, and the who before God was going to exercise his plan of destruction on the world, as well as his plan of deliverance for Noah and his family. So now the number 120, it, it can mean literally 120 years. It can mean figuratively a divinely appointed time of waiting. That's not this preach tonight. Um, you can get lost in a flood of information. Um, but regardless, whether it was a literal 120 years or the metaphorical divinely appointed time of waiting, Noah had a time frame. That's what they all agree on. Noah had a time frame, and in it, he had to build the ark, and he had to fill the ark. And I love this. This is verse 22 of chapter 6. Noah did this. He did all that God had commanded him. And so I'm not going to lie to you. Literally, as I've been preparing, I've felt like I've been drowning in a flood of information. <laughs> There's just so much, and there's so much controversy. Was it really 120 years? Was he really that old? Um, but I just thought tonight, rather, I just want to keep it simple. Um, I want God to really speak and minister to our hearts tonight. So um, in terms of the story of Noah and the ark, um, we are going to unpack two things, Noah and the ark. <laughs> it doesn't get much more simple than that, people. So Noah is our third hero who's mentioned in the lineup of the chronological lineup in the Old Testament heroes that, we, that are mentioned in Hebrews 11. Um, and this is what the writer of Hebrews has to say about Noah. This is Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So there's so much we can actually pull out of this scripture. But the four that I really want to um, hone in on and unpack tonight are Noah's faith, his fear, his obedience, and his salvation. So Noah's faith, the only reason why Noah knew anything about the unseen future is because God had revealed it to him. It was because God, because Noah believed God. He knew God. And he knew what God was saying was true. God was the object of Noah's faith. Noah trusted the person. He walked with the person. Therefore, he believed the person's word. 
His faith grasped the invisible things only because they first grasped the invisible person who was, who is, and who is to come. And so it is with our faith, whether our faith is believing God and reaching back for the forgiveness of sins at Jesus' death and resurrection at Calvary, or whether our faith is believing God and resting presently in the truth of Christ dwelling in our hearts richly now, or whether our faith is believing God and stretching forward into the future through that telescopic lens that brings the distant near. They all find their foundation in one thing, personal trust in the personal Christ who speaks to us. All faith starts with knowing and walking with Jesus. Jesus is the prize. He is always the prize. Jesus is the prize. Everything begins and ends with him. So Noah walked with God. He believed God, not just in this flood. He believed God in his ordinary life, even before God had, had revealed the future to him. The whole reason why God spoke to Noah and trusted him with the revealed future was because it says Noah walked with God in his ordinary, everyday, Monday through Sunday life. Noah walked with God. So the first thing I want to highlight about faith is faith is not just for Sundays and tsunamis. So it's great to have faith and believe God for those big things in the presence of life-changing things. We need to have faith for those things. Have faith for these moments when we gather on a Sunday. That's good. But the first essential of our faith is actually walking with God and believing him in our ordinary, everyday life. Because that's what it looks like to walk with God. Daily spending time in his presence. Throughout the day, in the word, talking to God, enjoying his presence, enjoying time with him. Where it's your habit to constantly take things to the Lord in prayer. Casting your burdens and your troubles onto him from finances to toxic relationships to career choices, anything, to a stub toe. It's like the smallest thing to the biggest thing. And if there's anything I've learned actually this year on my journey of faith with God, it's that if we're not able to trust God with the little things, it's really hard, if not almost impossible, to trust him for the really big things. And when we start with the little things, God is so faithful. He is so faithful and he grows our faith and he stretches us to trust him with the big things too. And if you can't trust God when you have a cold, it's going to be really hard for you to trust God in, while you're facing a diagnosis of cancer. I'm not speaking that over anybody. I'm just saying. And now Charles Spurgeon, this is one of the quotes that, that I've really, really loved. Um, he says, faith in God must be a constant tenant in our life, not just an occasional guest. So that's such a beautiful um, picture to remember, the constant tenant in our life. So if there's an opportunity to have faith, what are we called to do? Have faith. Very simple. Nothing is ever lost by having faith. Pray for that healing. Pray for the dead to be raised. I've been so encouraged to the core of my being, watching the journey and praying with the Bethel community for the, the resurrection of the child who passed away last week. It's beautiful to see people having faith. They have an opportunity to have faith, and they're taking it, and they're having faith. Pray with that colleague at work who has a sore back or whose marriage is falling apart. 
Be the person who's trusting God for an overseas trip. Faith the trip to visit us in Cincinnati next year or wherever we are. And we don't even know where we're going to be. Oh, my gosh. Jesus, help us. There's so many stories of supernatural provision, of people who've come out of this house, people from Glenridge who pack their bags. They really feel like God has spoken to them about going overseas. And so they pack their bags and they literally go to the airport. Like they've got no money and they go to the airport. And in my logical, what? Like, so you've packed your bags, you've got no money, but you're going to the airport. Yeah, the flight leaves at five. So I'm gonna get there at 8 a.m. when they open and I'm ready, I'm trusting God. And do you know what? Shame on me for thinking that they were being irresponsible because you know how many people have actually been handed tickets and money has come flooding into their bank accounts and they're on a jolly plane and I'm sitting here thinking like, that's weird, you know? But you know what? It never adds up. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make practical sense in our minds. But that's how God's economy works where our faith in him is the commodity that we're dealing in, you know? One plus one never equals two, people. One can put a thousand to flight. Two, it's not two thousand. Two can put ten thousand to flight. It never adds up, thankfully, in God's economy. But there are also those stories of people who have packed their bags, gone to the airport, and came home five minutes past five because they weren't on that airplane. The money didn't come in, the ticket wasn't handed to them, but they lost nothing because of it. They've lost nothing for having faith. If there's an opportunity to have faith, have faith, regardless of the outcome. I believe that that's when we'll hear those beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant. When we crank our faith deep down into the bedrock of Christ, not in the healing, not in the outcome. When it rests secure in the God who is unchanging, our hope remains secure. And when our faith is rooted and established in him, we lose nothing by having faith. And the only thing we actually lose is an opportunity to see God totally blow us away and grow our faith in him from strength to strength. So if there's an opportunity to have faith, what should we do? Have faith. Well done. A plus for everyone. Faith in God um, for Noah, was that was his living motivation of his life. But fear was actually the activating movement. By faith, Noah, being warned by God of things not yet seen, was moved with fear. That's what it says in Hebrews 11.7. Faith molded Noah but fear moved him. And you may be thinking like, I'm sure there's a scripture that says perfect love casts out fear. And it totally does, don't worry, it totally does. But that's fear of a certain kind. The fear that I'm talking about is, a, is a, where perfect love can embrace and nourish that fear. That God, that Noah so believed God, he so believed God at his word, that the word for destruction and for deliverance, that this holy reverent fear came upon him and it moved his hands to action. It's not a despairing fear. It's not a paralyzing fear, but a fear that's filled with such hope it, put, it, put, it puts wings on your heels and flies you closer to Jesus, trusting in him and leaning on his understanding, not in your own. And it not only influences your practice, 
but it constrains you to action. And when that type of hope-filled, action-moving fear gets grafted into our faith in God, it brings forth. So Noah's, uh, Noah's obedience. So faith and fear together with Noah led him to do exactly as God commanded. When he said it, he did it. And we see again throughout the account in Genesis, Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Our faith in God should be activated by this holy fear with, which makes us so zealous to be obedient to what God is saying, to what he has said and what he is continu continuing to say to us. But there is a huge cost for obedience. It is an, there is an incredible cost to, be, to obedience. <laughs> I thought you were telling me something that was, something was wrong. Okay. <laughs> Noah's obedience cost him everything. His resources, his finances, his time, his friendships, his reputation. For 120 years, Noah endured ridicule and scorn because of his obedience to God. Yet Noah remained faithful through all of it. Does God have access to your resources? What about your finances? Your daily calendar, your holidays? your Monday to Saturday, not just your Sundays? How obedient to God are you willing to be? Just 10% obedient? I tithe 10% every, every month. And I go to church like two or three times a month. That's like a lot more than most people. I mean, I don't say these things to make fun. There's just a reality. God is, let me put you at ease, God is not after your stuff. He's not even after your obedience. He's after you. He's after all of you, not just 10% of you. Intimacy doesn't look like 10%. Love does not look like 10%. If I only gave Graham 10% of myself, if there were 30 days, well, there are 30 days in a month, it would mean I would only be willing to give him access to me three days of the month. And when we're together, I'd let him hold my elbow. I mean, that's not a healthy marriage, people. That's not even a relationship. I mean, a course of antibiotics requires more commitment than that, you know? And I have found in my own journey with God, through the various seasons, the trials and the triumphs, because it's not only just been triumphs, I'll tell you that, my obedience to God to allow him access, full access to all of me, time, resources, finances, everything, children even, is almost always linked to the level of intimacy that I have with the Father. Fear, faith, obedience, they all find their foundation in one thing, personal trust and the personal Christ who speaks to us. Noah walked with God. Noah was radically obedient to everything that God had said. Everything he told him to do, it's because he had a relationship with him. But take heart, friends, radical obedience, thankfully, just like faith, doesn't ever start with moving the mountain. It always starts with the mustard seed. The Holy Spirit is always speaking to us, always prompting us. We're just not always listening or obedient. So I challenge you, even now, even now while you're sitting there, just say, Father, give me ears to hear what you're saying. Open my heart, open my hands, my eyes to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And mess up. What did we already learn? It's not about the outcome. It's about the fact that you actually had faith. 
that you stepped out in God to be obedient to what you felt he was saying to you. So go and pray for that person. Give that guy a lift. Join a serving team. Buy that person a meal. Tell your colleague about Jesus. These are just mustard seeds. Take that person shopping for a new pair of shoes. What is he saying? Buy that lady's groceries. Tip that waiter 50%. Start a home group. Give that couple your car. Pay for that child's school fees. Become a teacher in kids' ministry. Do you want to be involved in the most prophetic ministry in the life of any church? It's through there. It's the kids' ministry. It is the most prophetic ministry of the church. They are the reckies who are going in. They're scouting out the land. Shaping the future through the next generation. It's completely prophetic. Buy that family a house. Give away your possessions. Mustard seeds. Sell your house at a loss. Move to a foreign country. Plant a church. Mustard seeds to mountains. Luke 16.10 encourages us, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. So whenever you're obedient in the little things, it's amazing how God will actually use you in your obedience and your faith in him to do great things. You know, his faith, his fear, his obedience, all rooted in his relationship with God. He led to one thing, his salvation. There are only two men mentioned in the Bible that are described as men who walked with God. And it's Enoch and Noah. And it's so interesting in this Hebrews 11 lineup that they are juxtaposed right next to each other. Enoch comes first, and then it's Noah. And it says of Enoch, just a quick refresher on Enoch. It says, Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him. It was Enoch's mandate... Sorry, it was not Enoch's mandate, his mission or his calling, to fight the battle of righteousness to the bitter end. But rather, by the hand of God, he actually escaped death and the evil days. However, for Noah, he was chosen as God's witness during those days of evil, to live through them faithfully in obedience to the very end. I mean, when you compare those two, I mean, which one would you prefer to be? I mean, I mean, Enoch's life. I mean, Enoch sounds pretty good. You know what I'm saying? To just like walk with God and then one day continue on into the sunset, into eternity, never to face evil or death. I mean, that sounds pretty jolly fantastic to me. But we're not Enoch. We're Noah. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're Noah. And turn to the person on the other side of you and say, I am Noah. <laughs> We are Noah. So 2 Peter 2.5, it broadens our picture of Noah and this calling that he has. It says, God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Noah was a preacher of, of righteousness to the people warning them of the approaching destruction. Noah was actually the Bible's first evangelist, I think. For 120 years, Noah preached righteousness. And from the time that God spoke to him to the time that the flood came, in all of those years of obedience, how many people got saved? Not one. Not a single one outside of his family. Was he any less obedient 
No. Did his faith waver in the slightest? It didn't. To Noah, the unseen future was more real to him than the visible present. The future destruction of the coming flood and the deliverance that God had revealed to him through the ark were always on the forefront of his mind. And so faith and his fear produce a life, a long, very long life, of obedience in God, stretching forward to future salvation. So now that is our hero Noah, and now we would move into what I would say is actually, in this preach, the true hero of our story is the ark. (laughs) What actually saved Noah and his family from the flood? This isn't a true question. I mean, ultimately, it was God. But what did God give Noah? God gave Noah the perfect plan for salvation that would deliver them from the destruction of the flood and give them the life he had always intended um, for everything and everyone who was sealed inside of it. It was the ark. The ark saved Noah. And the ark was able to withstand the flood and the judgment of God. And whoever was found inside the ark was saved. They were carried safely through the waters of destruction that cleansed the earth until the waters receded, revealing the new earth. For those who were outside the ark, they took the full force and the brunt of the flood and the wrath of God on themselves. They were condemned to death and destruction. For those who were inside the ark, they were saved. The old life had gone, and the new life had come. And then God gave them a sign of his covenant promise of new life for future generations. I mean, does any of this sound a little bit familiar in a roundabout kind of way? (laughs) Raymond would have loved that one. Where is he? (laughs) What has God given us? What has God given us? God gave us the perfect plan of salvation and deliverance through the sacrifice of his son, so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but be saved. The ark is a picture of Jesus. It's a representation of the salvation that he offers us when we're found in him. Jesus went down into death. We were singing about it tonight. I love that we were singing about it tonight. Taking the full force of God's judgment that was intended for us, on himself, but he withstood the condemnation, he conquered death, and he overpowered the destruction of the grave when he rose again and ascended to heaven. When we are found in Christ, hidden in Christ, just like of God, safely to the other side, the old life is gone and the new life has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if you want to memorize a verse, this is a great one to memorize. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, the new things have come. Jesus is our ark, God's plan of salvation. Jesus is the only one who saves. He is the prize. He is always the prize. Friends, this is why we rejoice and we celebrate Christmas. Because God sent his son into the world to save the world and reconcile us back to himself 
Jesus as a baby in the manger, God with us, God in the flesh. He is our thrill of hope. The weary world can rejoice because yonder breaks a new and glorious dawn for those who are in Christ. And if there's anyone here who's actually unsure of where they are, or maybe you know you're not in Christ, maybe you know you have not been found in Christ, like you're not in the ark, please come and speak to me afterwards. I would really love to pray with you. And if you're unsure, don't leave here feeling unsure. Come to the front. We want to pray with you. And when we are found in Christ, we get a lot more than just a rainbow to remind us of God's promise. It says in Ephesians 1.14, When we believe in him, we are sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. Noah found salvation in the ark, and they were given a rainbow as a sign of the covenant promise between God and the post-flood world. We find salvation in Jesus, and we are given the Holy Spirit as a sign and a symbol of our covenant relation, relationship with God in Christ and the inheritance that is guaranteed to come. And as we're going through Hebrews 11, we're looking at all these Old Testament heroes. What is the picture that's been painted through each of them? We're getting glimpses of the true hero of faith. It's Jesus. We're gathering pieces of the gospel story in each of their stories. The story of Noah and the ark, it's not actually a children's story. It's actually pretty hectic. But this is also a picture of our future. We have exactly what Noah had, a definite divine utterance from God, just like Noah, revealing the things that are to come. Both are alike in having two sides, one dark and menacing with certain destruction, the other one radiant and glorious with absolute deliverance. Noah's salvation related to a temporary catastrophe, but ours is in reference to the, to the eternal condition of our lives. Matthew 24 speaks about this. I'm kind of wrapping things up now. As we're Jesus is sitting with his disciples and they say, so what should we know about kind of, you know, the end of the world? Like, tell us about the future. And this is what Jesus says. This is Matthew 24, verse 37. He says, when the Son of Man returns, he's speaking about, this is speaking about Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, when he returns to judge the living and the dead. It will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered the boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood, until the flood came and destroyed them all. There will be great anguish and distress, unequaled from the beginning of time until now, and never to be equaled again. But no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Only the Father knows. In Matthew 25, it gets elaborated on. The Son of Man, this is still speaking about Jesus, will come in his glory and all of his angels with him, and he will be seated on his glorious throne. 
and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left, and the king will say to the sheep on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Deliverance, salvation, inheritance. Verse 41, then the king will turn to the goats on his left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Destruction, death, condemnation. Verse 44, then the goats on the left will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you? Who, I mean, who is revealing all of this in Matthew? Who's this speaking here? I mean, these are red letters, people. I mean, this is Jesus speaking. And he says, I do nothing and I say nothing outside of what my Father is doing and saying. So these are God, this is our divine utterance from God revealing things that are to come. So our eyes are open. We know exactly what is ahead of us. So what are we going to do about it? Do we so believe God that that future is to us what it was for Noah? More real than the fleeing illusions of life that are right before us? Is that future more real than the present is right now? By faith, Noah, warned by God of things not yet seen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household and became a preacher of righteousness. As of October 2019, there is an estimated 7.7 billion people on planet Earth. 2.2 billion people of that number are Christians, which means 5.5 billion people in the world are actually blind. Blind to Jesus, blind to true reality, blind to the future that will bring eternal damnation and separation from God, and blind to the future that is filled with so much hope and inheritance in Christ. Yet none of them know that they are blind, not one. And only when they are standing before King Jesus, when it's too late, will they say, when did we ever see you? Um, there's an app available online that I noticed, I uh, came across um, the other day, um, and it's called Be My Eyes. It's an, a digital platform that links a sighted person who's willing to help and be the eyes of someone who is blind, who is in need. So we'll go ahead and just watch this clip. It's quick, a minute and a half. You might wonder how blind people deal with everyday challenges. Well, normally the answer is simple. We're not that different from you. We play music. We go to school. We go to work. You get the picture. But sometimes the simplest things can be difficult, and we need a pair of eyes. Connect to. That's where you come in. Establishing video connection. Through your smartphone, Be My Eyes connects the blind with sighted people through a live video connection. Simply choose if you need help or want to help by the click of a button. You can help just by installing the Be My Eyes app. Image. And we'll notify you when someone needs your help. 
Then if you're in the middle of something, don't worry. Someone else will step in. So, would you care to be my eyes? So, would you care to be my eyes? I pray that that question would resonate in your hearts, not just tonight, but for every day for the rest of your life. There are 5.5 billion people in the world who need us to be their eyes by taking them to the one who gives sight to the blind. We are Noah, not Enoch, called and chosen as the Lord's witnesses during the days of evil, to live through them faithfully in obedience to the very end as preachers of righteousness. Just as we close, um, I'd actually, I invite you to stand. I just want to read a scripture over us from Acts. Don't worry to turn there. There'll be a slide that you'll see. This is Jesus, spe- this is Jesus speaking here. So just just listen. Give God access to your heart and allow him to speak to you directly through his word. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I'm sending you to your own people to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Jesus, you are the prize, our very great reward. We earnestly seek you. Father, stir our faith, move our hearts, Strengthen our hands, activate our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.